Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Anger is only as good as the thing that it is holding on to. An anchor is only as good as the thing that it is holding on to. This is a lesson I learned when I was camping with some friends and our uh, our boys on uh, Shell Island, uh, a little island not too far from here in St. Pete. And we woke up in the morning. The boys swam out to the boat where it was anchored both uh, to the ground inside the water, but also anchored to the shore. And as the boys played around, the shore anchor was jostled. And because it was only in some fine, powdery Florida sand, it began to drag away and the boat began to drift. Um, Certain people had to chase after the anchor. Certain people were real heroes that day. I'm not going to name names, but it was, as they say, a whole thing. Anchors are one of the oldest symbols of the Christian church. In fact, one of the first Christian grave sites that we have, is called the Catacombs of Priscilla. It's in Rome. And when the Christians were experiencing persecution in the second century, it was where they would bury their dead. And in this temple, there are nearly 70 depictions of anchors. In many ways, the first symbol of the Christian faith was the anchor. It's a symbol of hope. And isn't that something that we're thinking about? I don't know about you, but the idea of hope has been on my mind. But there's a catch, right? We we, we want to have hope, but it seems elusive. And I don't think that it's strange that it seems elusive. That's not, you're not weird if you think that hope is elusive. In fact, I found this quote this week, and it was, it was amazing. This quote's from 1996 from a guy named Armand Nicoli, and he was a professor of psychiatry at Harvard, and he was the author of the Harvard Guide to Psychiatry. He wrote an essay called Hope in a Secular Age, and here's what he said. Our culture has forsaken its spiritual roots, and we live in an overtly secular society without even the pretense of spiritual values. Many young people today feel that their cultures fail to provide answers to questions of purpose, meaning, and destiny. We fail, they feel, to provide some reason for hope. The consequences is that we are now in a cultural crisis and living in what is being called the age of despair. That quote is almost 25 years old. I think that that quote has aged well. Because I think that we have not increased our hope as a culture, not increased our reasons for hope as a culture, but rather the opposite. We are more despairing 
as a culture, because that's, that's what the opposite of hope is. The opposite of hope is despair. And I think in many ways, you could describe the way that many of us are feeling right now as despair. The way that we feel about work. The way that we feel about having our kids home. The way that we feel about, is this going to end? What is the end of all of this? The uncertainty that we feel. All of that packed together, folded up, neatly packaged, comes at us in the form of despair. And the more that things are are changed, the more that things are canceled, the more that things happen that we can't control, the more our despair goes up. And it's interesting because, because hope and despair exist kind of on the same line. They're proportionate to one another. The less hope you have, the more despair you have. The more despair you have, the less hope you have. So think about that. If there's a line, and on one side is hope, and on the other side is despair, and there's a lot of space in between, where do you find yourself this Where do you find yourself in week six of the pandemic, at least the way that we've experienced it? I don't know about you, but I'm often teetering on that despair side. My hope feels thin. And the reason why all of our hope feels thin is because it's anchored to the wrong things. The reason our hope feels thin and our despair feels hot is that our hope is anchored to the things of this earth. We need a hope that is tethered to something above. An otherworldly type of hope. Hope that is not from this world. Because any hope that is anchored to anything in this world can be shattered, it can be scattered, it can fall apart. And we become like boats that are just tossed about by everything. We need a different kind of hope. Now I want to read a passage to you this morning that describes exactly that. It describes exactly the kind of hope we can have and the reason why we can have it. So if you're at home, I'd encourage you maybe to stand up as I read uh, this together. I'm going to read Hebrews 6. I'm going to read the last seven verses of the chapter. And we're going to stand up because we want to give attention to this. We want our bodies to do the same thing that our hearts are doing as we hear God speaking to us this morning. Hebrews 6 verses 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. 
So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. If you stood up, you can go ahead and have a seat. This passage is incredibly dense. You could spend uh, weeks, if not months, worth of sermons unpacking everything in here. In fact, there are more allusions to the Old Testament in these seven verses than there are verses themselves. I think I counted 12 um, as I sort of went through it. And what I want to do is I want to look and focus on just one of those. Uh, I'm reminded of of going to an art museum uh, a little bit earlier this year. We were in sort of a rush, and there was one particular piece that I wanted to see. And so we were there sort of uh, not running. That'd be inappropriate at a museum. But, you know, walking aggressively through this museum. And, you know, we're passing. It was the National Museum of Art. So we're passing Monet's and Van Gogh's. And and it's like, no, no, I'm not going to look at that. You know, I can't be distracted by the Renoir. You know, I've got to go see this piece that, I, that I've wanted to see for the past 15 years. And so I, I, that's what I want to do this morning. There's a lot of beautiful and important stuff happening in this passage, but I want to take a narrow focus and look at just one part of it. What I want to do is I want to look at the nautical, right, the, the boat-ish allusions in this passage. One of them is obvious, and the other is not. So I want to start with the obvious one. We have a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. Church, that's meaningful in this moment. That we have a sure and steadfast anchor. And the anchor that we have is not how well that we can Do what God says. Our anchor that we have in moments like this is not our performance. Beautiful thing is, our anchor is not even our belief. If you read this passage, he starts out by talking a lot about Abraham and the promises that God made to Abraham. And what he's talking about is this passage in Genesis where God reconfirmed the covenant to Abraham And God swore by himself. And then God took a covenant ceremony. And instead of making a covenant with Abraham by he and Abraham walking together, God walked with himself because the assurance of the covenant was not based on Abraham's performance, but rather was based on God being faithful. Our sure and steadfast hope in the midst of all of this is the faithfulness of The way God has been faithful to his people, even in Egypt. 
The way God has been faithful to his people, even when they were in exile. The way that God was faithful to his church, even in persecution. The way God has been faithful to his church in times of pandemic before. God's faithfulness is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And that is our sure and steadfast anchor. God will always fulfill his promises. All of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And our connection to him means that we can have a sure and steadfast And the reason why we can have this sure and steadfast hope is not just because of of the fact that God is our anchor, but it's also because our anchor goes upward. There's a a kind of a, a joke happening here. When you set out an anchor, what direction does it go? You anchor it downwards, right? That's what an anchor does. It literally is a big, heavy thing that goes down. This passage is is making a joke of sorts when it talks about the fact that our anchor is not anchored to anything on this earth. It's not anchored to anything down here. Rather, the line of our anchor goes up. It goes up to where Jesus is seated in heaven. He talks about this by talking about the fact that Jesus has gone through the veil. He's alluding here to the the architecture of the temple. He's alluding to the Holy of Holies. It's the same veil that when Jesus died on Good Friday, when that veil was ripped from top to bottom, that's the veil that the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. Our anchor goes in there to the heavenly Holy of Holies where Jesus has sprinkled his blood on our behalf. And so as we read this passage... What I'm encouraging you to do is hope in Jesus. Now that feels like a corona platitude, doesn't it? I'm standing here, and the novel thing I have to say to you in the midst of this novel coronavirus is hope in Jesus. I understand that that may feel like that. But if you're a Christian... If you're a Christian, this isn't just sofa cushion wisdom. Because because we often fail to do this. I need to encourage you to do this because we fail all the time at placing our hope in Jesus and not the things of this world. Far too often our hope is actually placed in politicians. It's placed in systems or organizations where our financial prowess, our intelligence, our hope is in all sorts of things besides Jesus. Church, that's true of me, and pretty sure it's often true of you too. And it's not just us Christians who need to hear this. If you're here this morning, and you're not a Christian, I think there is one piece of the quote um, that I, I read you by Armand Nichols. That's not entirely true. You see, most of us are not given to utter despair. If you think of that line between hope and despair that I described before, 
most of us are not redlining into despair. And so whatever it is that moves us over, whatever it is that gives us hope, even in the smallest amount, is significant. And, and really, that thing that gives us hope in the smallest amount is the thing that we worship. Not too long after um, uh, Armand Nikolai made that quote, David Foster Wallace, uh, in making a speech at a college graduation, uh, said something really profound. He said, uh, we as humans do not have a choice as to whether or not we worship. To be human is to worship. The only thing that we as humans have a choice about is what we are going to worship. And I think that applies to hope, too. What is it, if you're here this morning you're not a Christian, that you fight despair with? When the black dog comes after you, what is it that you use to fight despair? Church, if you are a Christian, the thing that you have to fight despair is the fact that God has been faithful and God will be faithful. And so he is our sure in steadfast anger. But I want to point out uh, something that's a little less obvious as well. Um, what's a little bit less obvious is when he says that Jesus has become our forerunner. Um, this is not uh, the writer of Hebrews prophesying about Toyotas. Um, this is not him um, using just sort of a, yeah, Jesus has gone before us. He's actually using a very technical term. In fact, this is the only place in the New Testament that this word occurs. So it doesn't occur in the way that John the Baptist was Jesus' forerunner. No, this is something different. What this is, is there was a ship that used to exist in most harbors around the Mediterranean. And most of the harbors of the Mediterranean, you had this large basin where the ships would come in, where they, where they would come into the port. And this large basin oftentimes had shoals or rocks or a reef that protected the inner harbor. And if a large boat came into the port at high or at low tide, it couldn't get over this reef. It couldn't get over these shoals. And so the forerunner boat would come out, and it was a small boat that would come out and get the anchor from the big ship. And because it was smaller, it didn't take on as much water, it could get past the reef and would take the anchor in to the inner harbor so that that boat was anchored in the inner harbor waiting for high tide when it could come into port. That's what they would have known when they heard the word forerunner. They would have known what that boat was. And think about that. Think about what that means for us. Jesus is our forerunner who has taken our anchor for us. And he has carried it into the holy of holies, the holiest place before the throne of God, where we are just waiting for the right time to join him there. This isn't that Jesus just goes before us. Jesus takes that sure and steadfast anchor of our hope to the place that we will be going when the time is right. Jesus has done this 
for us. Jesus takes the anchor in for us. Hope is not the reward of a job well done. Christian friends, your lack of hope is not because of your moral performance. No, our hope is a gift. A gift given to us by Jesus himself. Our hope is based on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Jesus has done this for us. Jesus has gone into the holy place for us. Jesus has made atonement for our sins. He has paid the price for it. So I don't have to earn it. I don't have to justify myself. Over the past few weeks, um, Angie and I have been watching a a TV show called Little Fires Everywhere. It's about um, motherhood. It's about life in Shaker Heights, Ohio in the 90s. But one of the really fascinating things about the show is there's one line that nearly each one of the main characters repeats at a different point in the show. At a different point in the show, almost every main character says this line. I am a good person. When's the last time that you have heard somebody say those words? I am a good person. Let me ask it another way. When's the last time you've said those words? See, more often than not, whenever we utter that sentence, we are trying to justify. I am trying to justify myself. I am trying to perform. We all do this. We want everybody to notice the good things that we do. And we want everybody to give us a mulligan on the bad things that we do. We want everybody to think we're a good person. I handled this situation well. Would you not agree? I did all the right things, didn't I? Church, any attempts at self-justification, any attempts to prove our rightness, are failures to truly believe and trust in Jesus. Because Jesus has done it for us. Jesus has been the forerunner who takes our anchor for us. And Jesus does this by going in to the Holy of Holies, the holiest place. And he sprinkles not the blood of a bull or the blood of a sheep or a ram. No, Jesus sprinkled his own blood on the altar, the blood that he shed on the cross. And that blood has made peace between God and Jesus has done this for us. So we can trust in him. So we can have hope that just as he's been faithful before, he will be faithful again. That is our anchor. 
We can have hope because it's not about our performance. It's about what he has done for us. So this allows me to be honest in the midst of sheltering at home, to be honest about the ways that I've acted, the things that I've thought about. It allows me to be honest about the things that I've done and the things that I've left undone. But at the same time as I'm honest and genuine about those things, I get to relish and see how much Jesus has loved me and cared for me. The beautiful gift that is the anchor. The beautiful gift that is his fully forgiving me. As sure as his resurrection and return to heaven happened, I can have a quiet resolve in times like this. Our hope becomes for us a quiet resolve in the face of storms and pandemics. Because my hope is not based on anything of this earth. My hope is based on Jesus. What he has already done for me. So it's not something I achieve or perform, but rather it is me trusting wholly in Jesus. What that does is that allows us to be a steady, faithful presence in our communities, even if they're digital. It allows us to be a steady and faithful presence in the face of hardship. A steady and faithful presence because all of a sudden, I am not worried about what's going to happen to my boat in the storm. My anchor holds. My anchor holds so I can look to the other boats to see how to love and serve and help them because I'm not panicking. I have a sure and steady hope, an anchor for my soul that I can hold fast to. The city church, may we hold fast. Let's pray.